DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and The Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Omar. Thank you, Chris. Let's discuss the work of Pope Pius XI. Holy Father Pius XI uh, was very aware of a number of movements in Europe who were trying to wrangle with socialism, trying to make some sense out of socialism. Remember that this document was being put together in part by advisors from Germany, German Jesuits, who were trying to figure out somewhere Catholic could stand um, on economic theory and on social theories. In between the radical communism, which by this time, 1931, was already in the Soviet Union, and that sort of uh, socialist, national socialism, fascist socialism, which was, of course, exemplified by Hitler and the Nazi Party. And so there were a number of attempts to try to Christianize, try to baptize socialism. The Holy Father was very clear that socialism simply, at its base, irreconcilable with Christianity. In fact, he says so. In paragraph 120 of Quadragesimo Anno, he says, if socialism, like all errors, contains some truth, and, and he notes in a parenthesis, he says, the, the supreme part of the popes have never denied that socialism, there's some truth to it at, at its base. He says, but if, if socialism, like all errors, contains some truth, it is based, nevertheless, on a theory of human society peculiar to itself and irreconcilable with true Christianity. Religious socialism, Christian socialism, are contradictory terms. No one can be at the same time a good Catholic and a true socialist, end quote. It couldn't be any clearer. We recognize that the the effort of socialism to try to bring about a brotherhood amongst mankind, to bring about equality, to try to bring about a more just society, these are goods. These are things that we ought to be striving for. But when at the base of socialism, you have a theory of the human person that only recognizes our material reality, our material needs, our material ends, then you fundamentally already... Uh, um, hampered um, yourself in, in, the, in the attempt to try to meet man's deepest needs. And it's precisely because we're talking about the nature of the human person that the church does have a voice in these issues. It's not just about the church trying to meddle in politics or in economics or, or you know, whittle some little niche for itself within society that it's not supposed to be in. This is about understanding who the human person is, this person made in the image of God, the imago Dei, if this is what we're talking about, then yes, in point of fact, the church not only can, but ought to speak about how this human person reaches fulfillment within the context of a social structure. Unfortunately for the world, this call had gone unheeded that Pius XI had put forward in this particular teaching. Yeah. And 
the results from all of this, this drive, this socialistic type of thinking led us into the horrors of World War II. Pope Pius Twelfth at this point is now the, the Holy Father for the church. What does he do? What can he do? Yeah, there's not much that he can, which is why, perhaps, he never wrote a singular document. Uh, he never wrote an encyclical or an apostolic letter addressing the social doctrine. What he did do uh, was he had a number of radio messages throughout his pontificate that addressed questions of society, addressed questions of the role of the Christian and the relationship between the state and the person, what the nature of a, a good Christian state ought to be. And it's interesting that in one such Christmas message, he was very clear that the foundation of a Christian society, a good society, the very foundation, the first principle must be the dignity of the human person. That has to be at the center. And one of the things that Pius XII also did and brought to this discussion of social doctrine was, was the importance of, of understanding and applying the natural law. Here you have the whole world once again caught up in a war, a devastating war, brutal war, and attempting to lead all of mankind towards the truth but knowing you can't appeal to the gospel anymore, unfortunately, mm -hmm. not to non-Catholics or Christians. So what common ground can we approach? And, and that was the natural law, a natural law that is approachable and accessible to Jews and Muslims and Christians and deists as well, and, and the Enlightenment thinkers, this, this law that is written on the heart, these, these, this appeal to uh, uh, the fact that there is a law and we can uh, understand it and approach it through, through human reason. So he starts to build this language approaching then the rest of the world. So there's a common language we can use in talking about social justice and, and the social doctrine. He also does a number of other things. He, he says in, in his uh, June 1st, 1941, Pentecost radio message, which is his sort of homage to Rerum Novarum. It's on the 50th anniversary of that first great document. Uh, in this message, he says that, the, that it's the, the heroic layperson who will bring about a true social justice. For Catholics, that ought to sound familiar because it's heroic virtue that provides us with one of the prerequisites for being a saint. Pius XII is very clear. It's saints who will save the world. It's not an economic system. It's not political structure. It's saints. And, and that's where we need to be looking to, to transform our own lives in holiness so we can bring about this more just society. The use of radio to be mm. able to bring this message was quite a revolutionary one. Now the lay faithful for the first time can actually hear the pontiff giving instruction. Absolutely, and that's an extremely important point because we have to keep in mind that encyclicals are written for bishops. Okay. They are, and they're, they're directed at bishops. They're, the, the beginning of the, of the encyclicals will use, say, dear brothers, you know, in reference to the bishops. As, even though they're accessible to laymen like you and me, it's, they're written for bishops. But here's a medium the Holy Father catches in radio where he starts to be able to address the average guy who can flip on a switch and hear that. And what a great solace it was for so many I think of uh, the great theologian Henri du Lubac, who during the Second World War in Vichy, France, spoke about how wonderful it was to hear the, the Holy Father talk about the dignity of the human person and the fact that we're, 
were all, and this is Pius XI, but they were all uh, descendants of Jews. The spiritually, we're all Semites. That the, the horrors that are going on in, the, in the World War II are not what the Lord wants. And so, especially in France, when there was such turmoil in Catholic circles about what to do with the collaboration with the Nazis or no, and what priests could and couldn't say in public, it was a great solace for the average person to simply be able to hear the Holy Father speak to them through the radio. And the Holy Father was clear as well that the social doctrine was for the average guy. He, he, he says that the social doctrine provides us guidance in three main areas. One of the areas is work, labor. The other area is in material goods, right? And the last one is family. This is about the everyday living out that lay people have to live in. And so he was very clear in that. And radio provided the opportunity to not just depend on the bishops to do the teaching or not just to teach it to the bishops, but to go into the very houses of the people for whom this has the most import and say, this is what the church says can lead you to salvation. For the people of that time, that was a huge leap mm. in relationship to the church yes, to good. actually yeah. hear the Holy Father, to, to be able to, for themselves, hear a pope guiding and instructing. Yes. It was a use of the media that was so opposite in message and in form than what was being used by those other forces at the time. Yes, that's right. I mean, of course, with any good technology, uh, any technology can be used for good or for evil. Uh, and uh, certainly we know that Goebbels in, in, in uh, Nazi Germany uh, was very good at twisting the media for, for the sake of propaganda. So here was uh, an example, uh, not just of a Holy Father who, who loved his sheep well enough to be able to speak to them directly, mm -hmm. but who used a medium that was a, a, that in itself, the medium itself, communicates that care, that pastoral care. It is uh, important, I think, in this discussion when we talk about Pius XII mm. to see that for his time, he was lifted up as a hero in many ways yes, because of the use, not only his vision and using the medium to be able to communicate this very counter. You talk about countercultural. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was counter uh, against... Uh, unbelievable forces to mm -hmm. be able to communicate this. Mm -hmm. But it, just his actions and his stance during this, whether it was supernatural prudence or courage mm -hmm. or fortitude or all of those things, he was recognized as someone to be greatly admired. Absolutely. I mean, he was adored by um, the Jewish community. The, the simple historical fact that the head rabbi of Rome converted to Catholicism and when he was baptized, took a new name, and that new name was Eugenio, Pius XII's original baptismal name, in homage, in, in honor of the great pope who did save so many Jews and was a, such a great light for Catholics at the time and on what to think and how to, how to approach and deal with this horrible catastrophe that was the war. Uh, the reason I, I bring that up about his person and, and how he was felt, it it is tragic in many ways that it would be after his death mm. that other forms of medium would use his legacy and twist it mm. in order to bring about a disparaging of the papacy as a whole. 
Yes, absolutely. It was in the 1960s when a play, uh, a simple stage play, started to change the way people started to view Pius XII. And, and despite the fact that there has never been any solid scholarship uh, to back up any of the accusations against the Holy Father, there is still a, a great deal of work that needs to be done to, to save his name from the accusations of not having done enough to, to save the Jews, or, or worse, and there are a lot of people who say this, worse that he was complicit and, and uh, uh, aided Nazi Germany in the extinction of the Jews. Yeah, I think it would the the work of Rabbi David Dallin as well as Robert Royalcheck, among many many others, who have come forward to try to vindicate the again the legacy of Pope Pius the Twelfth, and it's important because by dis, by besmirching him, and in this particular play, it has been uh, brought forward that the author of this work was funded by Soviet sources. Yes. The goal being that if you can undermine him, you undermine what he teaches. Exactly right. And that that assaults those systems. Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know who your friends are in a certain sense by who their enemies are. We know for a fact that Soviet Russia tried to undermine the Catholic Church in for as many ways as they possibly could. Uh, and we know, of course, now that they attempted to, to, to assassinate Pope John Paul II. It's simply clear, and, and they, they know the church is their great enemy because they know the, the church's teaching about the human person is diametrically opposed to everything that their whole system stood for. And so we, we, know, we know for a fact that the communism and the socialist underpinnings and, and philosophy of, of, of communism, which is shared by socialism, uh, is simply incompatible. We'll return to Regnum Novum with Deacon Omar Gutierrez in just a moment. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, 
Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. We now return to Regnum Novum with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. That's why, as lay faithful, wouldn't you say, Omar, it's it's so important for us to be a discerning people and that use of media, mediums, can be one that we, we really need to be very careful before we accept what is being brought forward by commentators, by different people, without going back and actually looking at the legacy and the actual teachings of those particular popes and church leaders who are trying to keep us grounded in the gospel. That is so true. There's that uh, famous line that says the, you know, the, the message is the media. The medium of television, the medium of radio, is only good insofar as you know who is producing it, which requires that the listener be discerning. It requires the listener know who it is that's speaking. It requires the listener have some sort of formation, particularly a formation of conscience. And if you are a Catholic, you have an obligation to form your conscience, to inform yourself according to what the Church's teachings are, and, and then to be able then to discern what this talking head or that talking head is saying. Particularly, and this is one of the reasons why uh, we're doing this series, particularly in this time where we have so many different voices on the right and the left politically saying so many different things and all of them claiming either a sense of social justice or a sense of, uh, of, of you know, the rational position is this or that or the other thing. It's precisely because of this that we, we need to present what the church's true teaching is so that the Catholic can then be discerning when he approaches the various mediums. For much of Catholic social doctrine of teaching how we understand the human person has been influenced by those media sources. Yes. Whether it's at what was heard back in 1931 on the radio, mm-hmm. what was seen in the movies, what was being brought forward, who was producing, and what certain agendas were, whether they were so clearly propaganda tools, say, of uh, Goebbels and of the Nazi machine, mm-hmm. but also it would later... Even in the United States, you must be very, very careful because there are certain goals that are trying to be accomplished, whether by uh, industry, by mm-hmm. business, by those marketing to be able to attain a greater wealth for themselves, yeah. trying to send a message and influence hearts and minds. That's right. That's absolutely right. And that's why we have to be discerning as to who is driving those messages and why are they being driven I'm I'm fairly certain, you know, I, I say this in trepidation because I don't want to judge anyone, but I'm fairly certain that no one at the major news networks, radio or, or television, are concerned about your eternal salvation. Mm. The churches. The churches. So Catholic social doctrine, again, as we go back in Pius XII, it, he, during this unbelievable, turbulent, horrific time in, the, in human history during World War II, yeah. And even the period after that with the advent of the Cold War. 
Yes. That in itself had pressures and... I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because the, the Holy Father, Pope Pius XII, was Pope throughout most of the 1950s. He, he passes away in 1958. But it's during the 1950s that you have the Cold War really going into, into high gear. Uh, and it's during the 1950s you see this spread of communism. Communism, the, the whole point of communism was not just to sort of set up this individual state, but to control and transform the entire world. That was the purpose of it. When you look at the, the Soviet Union and the, the, the sort of the fallout between after Lenin died and Stalin takes over and Trotsky and Stalin have a falling out, they both agreed that they needed to take over the whole world. They just disagreed about how to go about doing it. And so during the 1950s, you see the expansion of communism into places like Vietnam or Greece or Korea and also Latin America, which is going to come up later. Uh, but it's during the 1950s, uh, 1955, for instance, that Ernesto Che Guevara, Che, who's you know lionized now as a, a, a great humanitarian, started to be involved in the communist uh, uh, revolutions that were happening in, in Latin America at the time. Uh, Fidel Castro, of course, at the same time, uh, and his brother Raul, all, all of this started to foment during the mid-1950s. And then started to uh, play out then, of course, the 1960s. But it started, the seed was there in the 50s. And Che Guevara and, and, and his crowd were very clear about the kind of, uh, of movement they were trying to bring about. Uh, this was not, uh, even though they were driven, again, by that, that care for their brother, the fact that, that they were horrified by the poverty that existed there in Mexico and in Venezuela and, and in Cuba and Dominican Republic, and my own father, incidentally, uh, was a young man during that time in the Dominican Republic and, and lived through that uh, and had a great deal of respect for what these men, particularly Fidel, was trying, what they were trying to do. But when we look at the things they were saying uh, and the things they have said, we need to be clear about what was motivating some of this uh, communist movement. It was this care for their brother, but, but behind it again was that faulty understanding of the human person. So let me just share a couple of things from Ernesto Che Guevara. He said once, In fact, if Christ himself stood in my way, I, like Nietzsche, would not hesitate to squash him like a worm. Mm. That's Ernesto Che Guevara, who insisted that the soldiers who fought for him and for the movement had to hate their enemy. Uh, he also said about, for instance, the Cuban Missile Crisis and, and bringing the Soviet Union and the, those nuclear missiles to to Cuba, Ernesto Che Guevara said, if the missiles had remained, we would have used them against the very heart of America, including New York. We must never establish peaceful existence. In the struggle to the death between two systems, we must gain the ultimate victory. We must walk the path of liberation, even if it costs millions of atomic victims. Unquote. Mm. But you see, he's, he's comparing systems. You know? It's no longer about the human person. It's a battle between systems, and one side needs to win. And if it means the death of millions, so be it. And this was the attitude that was fomenting during the 1950s, uh, and which would therefore later play out during the Cold War, uh, and would eventually be, uh, uh, become uh, the roots of uh, some of the more liberation theologies that we would see during the 1970s. Mm. Again, and you pointed this out, there was an underlying poverty yes. for the, many, many, too many individuals throughout the world in which 
at its it on the local level, this seemed to be a solution to meet the needs of that. Right. But the corruption that occurred as the the machines got bigger, yeah. that therein lies the danger of what would occur from these ideologies. Absolutely right. I mean, that, as I said, my own father grew up in this time. He saw firsthand the, the corruption, oppressive governments that were in place because of the influence of Spain and Latin America during the 1940s and 50s. The reaction of uh, a great deal of Latin America to what was going on during the 1940s was a fascist reaction because of the fascist reaction that was going on in Spain. And so there was actually a great deal of, of sympathy uh, that the governments of certain Latin American countries had towards the Nazis because they were the champions of fascism. My father lived through this and saw how these governments therefore then dealt with those who disagreed with the government or those who wanted their governments to uh, do what governments are supposed to do, which is try to bring about more just structures and, and help solve poverty. When the response from these governments, and, and I can speak only for the Dominican Republic where my father grew up, mm-hmm. when the response was to mount death squads and to go around and round people up, it's understandable. It's entirely understandable that the reaction would be a militaristic one. The reaction would be one where passions can get the better of us. When people are suffering, you want to do everything you possibly can. And so at the root of the, the motivation for some of these things, again, it goes back to that desire of the human heart to solve that problem of, of alienation, that problem of, of concupiscence or of this uh, at ease here in this world. But we can never forget the gospel. And that's the thing. That's what Che Guevara rejected. That's what Fidel Castro rejected eventually. When they rejected the gospel, they rejected the, the underpinning for loving the human person, and it became about systems. I think it bears noting, too, that it is also indicative of capitalistic societies mm. that these types of diminishments of the human person occur. I mean, all you have to do is go back to the 1800s yeah. to see with the rise of the of the big barons as well as the Industrial Revolution, how that poverty planted the seeds that allow these other things to come forward. Also, it, it, I guess it, it goes back to that Chestertonian statements that it's the danger can be big government, but also big business. Yes. Yeah. So it, the church is always in the middle between it, these different leviathans. Yeah, no, that is exactly right. In point of fact, Pius XII addresses just that very same thing when he says, that when we're looking at economic structures, uh, it is best we ought to move towards small business, localized business. In fact, Pope John XXIII praises Pius XII for having made that point, that when we get these big businesses, it's that much easier for the big business to function and, and to, to, um, to sort of move by its own inertia towards the end of profit uh, and to forget that it it exists within a community because it, it, it exists in too many now, that it ha- it's beholden to persons because there are so many people. And so like you know, a Stalin, uh, it, it, you know, big businesses can, can look at uh, persons as just statistics. Manipulation of those numbers is really all they're concerned with, and they forget the human person. We went before with the analogy of it's a wonderful life. Yeah. Uh, I Capra type of understanding of how the world 
can be lived out in a gospel fashion through the life of George Bailey. That's right. As opposed to that of a Mr. Potter, who's so obviously uh, the villain in this. Yes. A lot of Capra's films are just that, the, the power of a one man um, mm-hmm. to stand up in love, to stand in love and do what other men fear to do. Yeah, I think that's the key in love. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to an Onran who lifts up the fountainhead, yes. those types of uh, that imagery of the, the one man has a right to be able to attain whatever his vision is, but it's not done in love. No. Yeah, yeah, there is the differences between the rant and the Capra. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's love. Yes. Any final thoughts on the teachings, the guidance of Pope Pius XII? Pius XII was an aristocrat. He came from an aristocratic family, very wealthy, fantastically well-educated, and was the pontiff at one of the most difficult moments of all human history. He guided this church through an unbelievable tempest. And yet, he was a man who cried. He was a man who felt the suffering, Catholic and non-Catholic, very deeply. And the fact that he didn't write a singular encyclical on these topics, I don't think ought to give one the impression that he didn't care about them as much as he cared about other things. He knew intimately, only too well, what happens when Catholics don't stand in love, when Catholics don't behave in a manner um, that can that takes into account the, the fullest dignity of the human person. Thank you, Omar. You're welcome. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.